two, and three are going to take us a long time. So after we pass Genesis 3, we're going to speed up and it'll it'll go a lot quicker. But there's just so much to uh, so much to talk about in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, especially since basically 1, 2, and 3 are they're the foundation of all of scripture, really. They tell us all about you know the whole problem the reason the reason everything is the way it is the reason god had to uh, come and and take the form of a man and die on the cross and be raised from the dead and all those things all those all those things tie into genesis and it ties into the entire chapter too. So when we talk about Abraham, we're going to talk about the once it focuses in on Abraham and his family, we're going to focus in on the promise. And that promise is Jesus, of course, and that promise is going to be handed down from father son, father son. And we'll talk about that as when we get there. But I I wanted to do Genesis 1 the whole chapter, but there's just no way to get through it because there's going to be all kind of questions. You're going to want to talk about evolution and you're going to want to talk about all those kind of things and so we need to we need to discuss those things because that is part of the way that a lot of people interpret the text the way a lot of people read the text and so right off the bat we're gonna we're gonna just be faced with all that kind of stuff and so we're gonna get probably i'd like to get genesis one done in two sundays maybe take three just depends uh maybe we'll get through the creation day two today hopefully we'll see um and so uh, the first five books were written by Moses. There's a whole group of people that'll say Moses didn't write these books. There's, uh, it's called uh, a lot of scholars. It's not really in vogue today, but in the last hundred years, there were scholars that they call it the Graf-Wellhausen theory that say there was just a lot of different sources that cobbled all this stuff together. Uh, I reject all that. I reject all that. It's a, it's all false. It's all a false narrative. But we're not going to get too far into the scholarly deal. I just want to teach you from the text and see what what God says about His Word. Is there any questions before we start? We're just going to hit verse one and go. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. All right, let's pray first. Lord, help us to help us to rightly divide Your Word. Help us to uh, um, to uh, get into Your text, God, and uh, help uh, help the folks that are here in this class, God, to know that they don't have to be silent. If they have questions, if they have statements, they have things, God, that that we need to talk about. We we want to do that. I don't want to just give a lecture and let them walk out of here still in the dark about whatever it is that they're wondering about. So, Father, help us just to uh, take Your Word for what you what it says and to uh, to uh, let that affect our lives and change us and we thank you in Jesus name. Amen. All right. Chapter one, verse one, summary statement. You all know it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, That is, it's a, Genesis one is, it's literature and there's elements of poetry, but it is history. It is historical narrative. It's not, you know, it's not just some poetic thing, some poetic myth that you hear, you know, it's a, it is actual history. And I'm going to demonstrate to you that it has to be. If it's not actual history, there are people that debate whether the day is a bunch of years or a day. We can debate those questions with some caveats. I'm going to explain to you how we can have those debates if you want to. Um, but if it's not history, 
then the whole Bible loses its meaning. Because Paul references Adam when he talks about Christ. He says, because death came by Adam, death came by one man, so life came by the second Adam. Uh, Jesus himself references Adam and Eve, saying uh, that, you know, God made them, the man shall leave his woman, uh, his mother, father and mother, become one flesh. And so if you take away the Adam and Eve story, if you take away the creation narrative, you have just gutted the gospel. You have gutted the gospel. And so if uh, if we're talking about, we're going to talk about this as we get into it, but if you talk about mi- millions of years and evolution bringing everything along, which I'm not a scientist, all I know is what I've read, and so I can tell you about those things, but uh, I can tell you that if you if there is no literal Adam and Eve, if there is no literal garden, if there is no literal fall, then there is no salvation, there is no Christ because Jesus believed those things and you can't say well he was God and he knew what he was talking about but he believed something that's not true in Genesis if there's no fall there's no reason to have a savior there's no reason to have salvation because we haven't you know there is no such thing as uh, sin didn't bring death into world to the world death had come before then and we'll get into all that I'm getting way ahead of myself Genesis is broken up into ten sections. It's ten, um, they're called, let's just call them generation sections. They're called Toledoth statements, but that, we're not going to need that. Um, it's, these are the generations of. In chapter 2, you're going to say these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. And then it's going to focus in on Adam. And then these are the generations of Abraham. These are the generations of Noah. These are the generations of, it's going to go on, it's broken up into ten sections. And so we'll try to follow that, although we're not going to get to the whole sections at uh, at one time. If you notice in Genesis when we read in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth and then it goes right on. The earth was formless and void or earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Genesis nowhere tries to prove the nature and the existence of God. It assumes it. From, from the very beginning. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. When I teach the youth these things, uh, make sure that they know um, it, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around. In the beginning, there was absolutely nothing. We got this idea in our minds. It, it's hard to wrap your mind around nothing. And you know, nothing is what a uh, famous philosopher said. Nothing is what rocks dream about. You know, there, it's hard to wrap your mind around nothing. But in the beginning... You know, we, we're thinking, you've seen the little videos with, with the space, and it's like the Star Trek music, and in the beginning, in the beginning there was no space. There was no stars. There's a vacuum in space now, if you know. There was no vacuum. In the beginning, there was nothing. There was absolutely nothing. You could say it was all just whatever. Nothing is absolutely nothing. There was nothing but God. In the beginning was nothing. He created what we call, it's called ex nihilo. It means out of nothing. Out of absolutely nothing he created. And so in the beginning there was nothing. He is the sole creator. When Moses wrote these things, there were people living all around them. He wrote these things after they had come into the land of Canaan. Of course, God was inspiring him in all those things, inspired infallible writings for sure. Um, but there were people all around that had these myths of creation. And all the creation myths, the most famous is Enuma Elish. If you want to write that down, you can go and read. It's a Babylonian creation myth. Most of the liberal, scientists, the liberal uh, scholars will tell you this is where Genesis comes from. It's all bull. Um, because all of those creation myths involve some kind of battle. 
involved some kind of war that went on between the gods. You know, in that one, it's a whole lot that goes into it. It's a whole lot more than I'm simplifying it way down. But there was two gods, uh, Tiamat and Marduk were their names, and they battled each other. And Marduk won and ripped Tiamat in half, and half her body became land, and half her body became the sky, and you know stuff like that. Here, Moses is is showing us a different picture. All of those creation myths that you have in uh, the ancient Near East and all those things, it's all like battles of good and evil and darkness fighting. There's nothing but God. God created everything. There's one creator. There's one God. There's no war in heaven going on. There's no war in the godly galaxies. God said and there was. It's as simple as that. God created and there was. So he's showing us a picture of creation. Not that arises out of conflict and battle and, and you know all these forces trying to overcome each other. And this is how the world. No, it was one good God. All good all-powerful who said let there be and there was and so he's going to explain that to us in the beginning there was there was God he created out of nothing did I give Moses did he did God tell Moses that this is what I did for Moses to write this down you know with the, with the Bible being the holy inspired yes God. in a sense in a sense yes I mean we don't have a record of God saying okay Moses we're going to write, write this down but God inspired Moses to write in the same way that he inspired Paul Peter right. James uh, Peter says that God uh, the Holy Spirit uh, carried men along to to write so when we're talking about biblical inspiration this is not on the subject but it's probably important for you to know we're talking about biblical inspiration we're not talking about automatic writing where God just put them in a trance and they just started writing things and God uses men he uses their vocabularies he uses their writing style that way you can tell the writings of Peter differ from the writings of Paul and their vocabulary and their grammar and the syntax and their stuff like that he used them to write exactly what he would have written what he wanted written and so in the same way this is inspired writing from Moses. Um, a lot of people will. Now, of course, the, Moses didn't complete it because at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses dies and then there's a, another chapter or two. So more than likely, Joshua probably wrote those after Moses was dead. But Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Jesus believed it because he referenced it. Have you not read? Moses said, and, you know, so he referenced it in the New Testament. And I think with the best scholar, if you need somebody to look up that's got, uh, you know, that really tackles the issue of all the liberal deal. His name is Gleason Archer. It's a guy that has written extensively about why Moses, why it's it's uh, it's scholarly appropriate to see Moses as the as the author of the first five books of the Bible. And so, so what are these? liberal professors get between one and two this gap theory. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Okay. There's lots of different theories about creation. We probably just need to hit that right at the beginning because before we even get to the text, we're going to have to talk about what the days mean and, and all that kind of thing. There are there are some who say that, um, there's quite a few theories actually. Uh, <clears throat> in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and it says, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. Um, there are people who say that verse 1 is kind of a pre-creation that we don't know anything about. Uh, most of the scholars are going to say, and I say scholars loosely, most of they hold a different viewpoint. Um, most of them are going to say that this was a creation made good, and then when the angels fell, 
uh, God decided to wipe that out and start over. And so there's a gap between one and two where um, there is a, you know, innumerable period of time. We don't know how long it was. But that's why he could say the earth was without form and void as if there was something there that needed to be molded together. You see what I mean? Uh, This language that he uses... The earth was without form, void, darkness was on the face of the deep, spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. So you're thinking, okay, if there's nothing, where'd the waters come from? Where'd the, where'd the void come from? Where'd, the, you know, where'd all this formlessness stuff come from? It's almost like what they do is they take verse 2 to mean that God created out of things that were already there. And verse 1, God creates out of nothing and, you know, the angels fail. Usually that's the common. There's a lot of different ones, but usually that's common. Satan and his angels fail, so God decided to wipe that all out. And then he takes what's left, which is in chaos and formless and void, and he makes the creation out of that. The question, the the way to answer all of the questions we're going to have, especially about the days and about all these different things that we're going to have to talk about, I don't really look forward to it, but we're going to have to, um, is what would Moses' original readers have thought? Now, you are, is written around 1500 B.C., 1400 B.C., right in there somewhere. Don't know exactly, but it's right in there somewhere. Uh, we've got Canaanite and Egyptian archaeology. We've we got all that kind of stuff that kind of points us in the right direction. What would they have thought? Moses writes this under the inspiration of God, gives it as the law of God. The Torah, first five books of the Bible, is the law of God. They received it as the law of God. Would those original readers have said, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, darkness was on the face of the deep. Oh, that obviously means that there's a huge gap between one and two where the angels fell and all the... Would they have said that? No, that's something that we're reading into the text. They would have seen it. There's something that we're going to see over and over again in the creation narrative. It's called phenomenological language. (laughs) I can't help it. It's a big word. Phenomenological, okay? Uh, You don't have to remember that word. Just remember this. What it means is it's language that describes what is seen. Okay? So... The language of Genesis 1 is not meant for to be a modern science text, textbook. It's meant to explain what is seen. It doesn't mean it's not true. It is true. Let me give you an example. What time did the sun come up this morning? Anybody know? About 10 after 7. Okay. Is that true? I mean, not the, let's just say that's true, the time. Is that true? Is what she said just a true statement? No, it's not true. Sun doesn't rise. The earth revolves around the sun. But is what she said true? Yeah, she was using phenomenological language. That's what it looks like. The sun comes up. We use the language. Sun goes down. The moon comes. I mean, we use the language to describe what's true. And so what he's doing here when he says the earth was void and formless, he's saying it was formless. There was there was nothing there and it was void. It was empty. There was nothing in it. And so all the days of creation, the first three days of creation are going to remedy the fact that 
there was nothing there. He's going to say, let there be light. He's going to say, let there be separation between the, the darkness and the light. Let the waters separate and form the land. He's going to, he's going to show the, the forming of it when there was formlessness before. And then the days four, five, and six, he's going to show the filling of it because it's void. It's empty. He's going to say, let the plants come forth. Let the sea team with living things. Let, let the animals come forth. Let the, you know, the, the man, he's going to create man. And so basically the whole creation narrative here in chapter one is going to be the remedy for the formlessness and the emptiness, the void. He's going to uh, form it. He's going to create it and he's going to fill it. He's going to fill it with, with stuff. So you're going to see a lot of things. If Moses had written, now think about this. If Moses had written his creation account in a modern in a, in a way that would please modern liberal scientists or modern atheistic scientists and said, uh, you know, in the beginning there was nothing and God spoke and the quasar exploded into, you know, if he would have written it that way, understand the word of God would have been meaningless for 2,000, 4,000 years. Nobody would have understood anything that he said until modern science reached the point where they understood what a quasar was and you know all that kind of stuff. So that's not the way that he wrote. He wrote in language that the people could understand. It doesn't mean that it's not true. It most certainly is true, and it is historical narrative. There's elements of poetry in it, but it's historical narrative. It actually happened. God said, let there be, and there was. And if you don't believe that, if you refuse to accept the Genesis account like that, you have to chunk the entire Bible. You have to chunk it. Because Jesus believed it. And Paul points to it. He says, the reason that we have this second Adam is because the first Adam. The reason that, the reason that we have, you know, he said, uh, the, that one, uh, the, in Timothy, he said, man was created first and then the woman. And he points to it over and over and over and over again. Even Jesus. Have you not read what God said when he said, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. It's quoted over and over again by Jesus and the apostles. So we can discuss and we can debate about the days of creation. Some people think they're like a lot of years. And to be honest, I don't hold that view and I can't hold that view, but I don't apostatize people that do. There are smart people, godly people that hold that view. And so we'll talk about that. But you have to believe that it is historical narrative. You have to believe that it actually happened. Otherwise, Jesus and Paul and all the apostles had no idea what they were talking about. You also have to believe that Adam and Eve were real people and they were the first people. There weren't Neanderthals running around before Adam and Eve. Because if that's true, then you have death before the fall. And if that's true, there's no reason for a savior. And so we're going to talk about, I'm getting way, I'm getting way off of, off of just talking about Genesis one, but there's so much here. You can see why it's not going to take It's going to take us more than one session just to get through Genesis one. Is there any questions as we're going on before we start? So formless and void. It's phenomenological language. He's explaining to those people at that time what it was like when God created the, the, the earth, the creation. And so there's no way we as modern people with science and all that, we can look back and say, you know, he's explaining this in a way that we can understand, that people can understand. There's no way if he would have used our modern scientific techno uh, 
uh, vocabulary, there's no way those people would have understood. But the Word of God is powerful and real for every generation that's ever lived. And so he gave it in a language, in a way of speaking, that not only those guys that had it back then could understand and understand that God was sole creator and that he is good and omnipotent and his power created, but also that we, who are who think that we're smarter than everybody else and modern scientific, all that stuff, we can look back and say, yes, I can see that as well. you got a whole group of scientists, the whole Answers in Genesis folks, who all are creation scientists, all look at this same text and the scientific deal, and they can look back and say, yes, it's true. So he gave it in a language that we can understand and that we all, from the very generation when he wrote it to the generation that we live in now, to if the world keeps spinning for 5,000 more years, those people in 5,000 years... They will be able to understand it as well. It's the word of God is quick and powerful for all of us. Does that make sense? And that's why when someone reads this, that's maybe, you know, doesn't believe what, we, what the Bible teaches about what it says and all those things. Usually they're going to point to the fact that. They're going to point to the language and say, well, what does this mean? I mean, it was formless and void. What does it mean when and you and I need to understand that we talk like this. We use phenomenological language all the time. Just like when I asked Miss Judy, she didn't think none of y'all did. If you read the outline, you might have. But none of y'all thought anything when I said, what time did the sun come up? That's just natural way of talking. When the sun comes up, sun goes down. No, the sun really doesn't. That's not scientific. Actually, the earth revolves and it revolves around the sun. And so we speak that way. That's We use it all the time. And so that's what's going on here. He's speaking in a way that not only we, but those people could understand. Y'all with me? Everybody good? Okay. So... <clears throat> He created, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. You see in verses 1, 2, 3, you see nowhere in Genesis 1 is the Trinity actually proven, but you see hints of it. You can take the Bible as a whole, and I see it all over the place. And so you see it here in verses 1, 2, and 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. Spirit of God moved on the waters. You've got the Father, and you've got the Spirit right there. And God said, there's the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Here again, here again, the big problem. You know, I don't have a problem in believing in God. I don't have a problem in believing in Christ and salvation and all those things, but people just seem to have a problem believing how could there be light when God doesn't create the sun and the moon until the fourth day? It's just all, it's, it blows my mind that you can believe in God creating out of nothing, but not believe that there could be light. But in, huh? He is the light. There's a couple of different ways you can look at it. I mean, that's evident. If you look in Revelation, it says there won't be any need for any sun. Why? Because he's the light. The lamb is going to be the light, you know. And uh, over and over again, he said that he was the light of men that come into the world. And, over, and that's, that's John 1. And so God says, let there be light. And, and there was light. Understand, they call that creation by divine fiat. Fiat, F-I-A-T, is the word. It's by speaking. Let there be, and there was. God didn't have to battle anybody. He didn't have to take over the chaos gods or any of that kind of stuff. 
There wasn't any kind of conflict going on that God had to win. He didn't have to mold things together or whatever. He said, let there be, and there was. It's as simple as that. Not only did he not have to do any of those things, he created by the power of his own word. By his own word. He just said, let there be light. And there was light. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. The first thing he does is dispel the darkness. He says, let there be light, and there's light. By divine fiat. Um... It's also some people also take he names the light day. Let's see. And God called the light day, the darkness he called night, and evening and the morning were the first day. Uh, he calls it day. So there are some people, and I can see this point of view. Uh, some people will say that this is where God creates time. He created the light is not just a ray of light shining; it is day. And he separates the day and the night. And so basically he created time. He created the day. He created the first day. Now it says there was evening, there was morning, day one. All right. Here's where the problem comes. What does day mean? You got bunch a bunch of different theories about day. Uh, anybody want, know? You might know what I'm talking about. Am I going? Thousand, yeah, or or a billion years, or ten billion years, or whatever. Um, there are good and godly people that believe that each day is an age, and so God created the land and the earth. We're going to get to the days. Let me just read it all, and then we'll come back, and we'll have to go back through it again anyway. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let the waters divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament, uh, divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters that were, were above. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven and the evening and the morning the second day. That's probably as far as we're going to get today. But day, some people say he created light and then innumerable amount of time then the firmament which is the atmosphere uh, separated the the waters from the waters above and then the land and then the animals and all those kind of things day in Hebrew can mean it can mean daylight hours like just during the day it can mean a 24 hour literal day of course it can mean a special day like the day of his death it can mean a, if it's plural days it could just be an unspecified amount of days or if it has the definite article which is the it could be today that's how they translate today the day um, and if it's got a preposition it could be in that day you know in that day uh, when Moses lived it could be an innumerable amount of days um, um, I fall back to the interpretive model of saying, what did the original readers think? When they read this, what would the original Hebrews that Moses wrote these primarily for, what would they have thought? Anybody want to guess? Whatever their day and night was. I would think they liked. Whatever the uh, Hebrew and Jewish calendar was at that time. Yeah, they would have thought a day is a day. You know, it was thought morning and evening equals one day. Morning and evening equals one day. Why do we put in the day can mean a million years, 
10 billion years. Why do we put that in? Why do some people see that in the text, do you think? Does it come from the text? Because I think a lot of them go back to the fact <coughs> that they look at God and say God sees no time. So time just keeps going to Him. There is no such thing as time when it comes to God. Right, that's an argument that they make. Right. But what causes them initially to think that it it has to have millions of years in there somewhere? Well, because there's no mention of the dinosaurs. There's no mention of the Ice Age, the Neanderthal, and we've got fossils that somebody found them. I ain't never found one, but... <laughs> You ain't never found one? No, that they, they existed. Yeah. <laughs> they had to come from something. Right. No. Okay, so here's the thing. You're right. We take our modern scientific stuff and we import it into the text. If you're just reading the text for what it says, correct me if I'm wrong, does it say... You would assume a day is a day is a day, mm-hmm. right? Now, there's creation. I'm not. I already told you I'm not a scientist, but there are creation scientists that all kind of literature about the fact that radiometric dating is not reliable. So they dated a, a, a living shellfish or a living sponge, five thousand years old, five thousand years ago when it's alive. You know, so radiometric dating is is uh is not reliable way to date fossils and all those kind of things uh we've got you've got cave paintings of people you know uh uh with with dragons and things on the walls uh showing that man and dinosaurs lived at the same time as each other uh so you got all these kind of things going on like i said i'm not a scientist but i'm just telling you things that i've read uh there are there are a whole host of the scientific of a community that believe in creation, in intelligent design, that God created the earth in six literal days. I mean, that's what the whole, you ever been to the Creation Museum? I took the youth there a couple years ago. I mean, that's the whole thing is built around that premise. And they have exhibits there with all kind of things telling you about the dating of these fossils and all those kind of things, how they're found, the strata in which they're found, the levels of the earth which they're found, all those kind of things. But I'm not here to give you a science lesson. I'm here to ask you, what does the text say? Well, if you, you, you asked us a question, you know, if people back in the days of Moses would have read this, what would they have interpreted it to be? Well, the word for day in Hebrew is, is yom. Yom, yes. Yeah, and so, I mean, yom kippur, the day of atonement. To them, a day was, like you said, a day. Right. 24 hours. And there are, there are some uses in Hebrew where a day, like... They, they they call it the day of the Lord could be just the time when the Lord comes back. There are some uses of that, um, but you you'll always see. Let, put it this way: Yom is never used with a number in the Hebrew Scriptures where it doesn't mean a twenty-four hour day. Right. So here you have day one, you have second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day. It's always twenty-four hour day. And if you look in the rest of Scripture, Exodus chapter 20, when it talks about the Sabbath, it says, 
You shall, Exodus 20 is the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, where you, it says you shall observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. It says, for God created the earth in six days and the seventh he blessed and kept holy. It uses that model of six days, the seventh is holy, as the, um, as the grid to determine that the Sabbath is to be kept holy. And so over and over again, you see the Hebrews of the Old Testament looked at this text and saw it as six, the creation as six 24 hour, 24 hour days. Do you not believe also when the word kind of our mind and God's mind right. together to say that generations down that we're going to look at this and we're going to have to look at it ourselves as they did as a six day plan and he rested. Not this scientific liberal view of there could be general days gone by in between each, each time pass. You know, that you know, he had to give us some type of discernment to say, look, I literally meant six days. So yeah. for generations gone by, they're gonna have to understand it just like they did. Yeah. Um I think that <clears throat> I think that uh a couple of things. Whenever you're interpreting the Bible, the first thing that you should always ask is what did it mean to them? When you're talking about Paul's epistle to the Romans, you want to know what Paul meant when he was talking to the Romans. And that way you can apply it to you. You can apply it to you. Uh, there's a, 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 a rule of, of, uh, of interpretation of hermeneutics that says if, if it, uh, it does, if it, shoot, <laughs> it doesn't mean what it never meant. So if you take something that you read and you say, it means this, well, if it didn't mean that to the original audience, then it doesn't mean it now. You see what I mean? And so, but here's the other thing. We, we cannot, the six days of creation, whether they were a million years or they were 24 hour little day, that is not an issue for us to divide fellowship over. Now, if you believe there wasn't historical Adam, historical fall, now we've got problems. We have to believe that, I mean, it, that, that is the crux of the gospel. So that is an issue that we, we must debate, we must debate vigorously. There are good and godly people that believe in what was called an old earth theory where the earth is millions of years old and each day was one of these days. That's not something for us to divide over. I, I'm not going to debate the issue. I'm not going to say, oh, all y'all are heretics because people believe that. I don't agree and I don't think it's right and I don't think you can justify it throughout the text of the Bible, but that's not an issue where we say, you know, I can't have fellowship with you because you don't believe in young earth, you know, in six, six 24-hour days. That's not one of those issues. The historicity of Adam, the fall, those kind of things, yes, those are because that deals with the gospel. If there's no Adam, then there's no need for Jesus, no need for a cross. The other thing I would say is the way we're talking here, I don't want you to get the idea that Gen the Genesis account and scripture is antithetical to science. It's not. So I'm not saying all science is wrong and we're just going to take the Bible. I mean, I am saying that, but what I'm saying is science 
corroborates the Genesis account. There are lots and lots of scientists, creation scientists, that take the data that you're talking about, the fossils and the dinosaurs and all those things, and they they see 24-hour literal days of creation. They see God's creative hand in it. So I'm not saying, hey guys, poo-poo on all that science and we're not going to worry about it. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying science and faith um, uh, are reconcilable as long as we take the Bible and what the Word of God says as um, <laughs> she looks at me like I don't even know what you're talking about the Bible is the Bible is the infallible inerrant rule of faith so where science says this can't be true if the Bible says it's true science is wrong simple and it will be proven wrong. See, four and fourteen hundred years ago, they thought the Earth was flat. You know, and so <clears throat> you understand what I'm saying? Everybody with me? Anybody disagree? Cries of outrage? It's okay. We can have these discussions. That's why we're here. Where do you think the dinosaurs come into play through these? Dinosaurs were animals. They were created. Yeah, shut up, Dust. They were animals. They were created just like every other animal. And there were, there were, I do believe in dinosaurs. There were dinosaurs. Absolutely. They were animals just like everything. And even, even today, even today, now they're not billions of years old, but even today, animals go extinct every year. So just the fact that. I know you touched on that, but where did they, where do scientists get these billions of years of, you know, being carbon dating and things? Well, carbon dating is notoriously unreliable. Um, To be honest with you, they have to have it. Because Darwinian evolution says that things things change from one species to another. Mm -hmm. And in order for that to happen, they do it by mutation. In order for that to happen, we know that... It doesn't just, I mean, that random process is going to take millions and millions and millions of years. That's like saying, you've probably heard the saying about, you know, that's like saying 45 monkeys banging on typewriters one day would put out a Shakespearean play. You know, it would take billions, if you're going to statistically add that up, it would take billions and billions and billions of years for that to ever happen. And so you have to have it. I mean, you have to have it. One of the things that we see, and this is, I mean, I'm getting so far from the text, but one of the things that we see is there has never, listen to me, there has never been any fossil found that is in transition from one species to another. Now, there are a lot of these ape men, whatever. You ever seen that picture where you got that little ape and then you got the guy that's not, and then the other guy, and it, that's an artist's rendering. That's a picture. Somebody drew it. They have found bones that were either ape bones or man bones. And now, sometimes you find a bone that's kind of deformed. You know, it's got deformed. People have deformities, mutation, all the guy. And they say, oh, look, it's the ape man. All of them have been disproven. I had this discussion. Uh, Jesse's science teacher sent a thing home. And I went through them one at a time. Piltdown man, Java man, one, one at a time. Showing them this has been disproved. This has di- been disproved. This has been disproved. One, I mean, there has been artist renderings of, of 
pictures. I, I guess I probably need to bring some of these just so you can see what I'm talking about. Of this big hairy caveman guy. This is what he looked like. And they base all of that on a tooth that they found. Okay, they found a tooth. And they know that this guy was hairy and had this kind of nose. And a, Are you kidding? On a tooth and a, and a skull cap. So all these pictures that you see about the hairy guy and all this stuff. How, you know that from a jawbone. Is that what you're saying? You know that's what he looked I mean, it, it's really kind of ridiculous. It's really kind of ridiculous. You can also go back on the dinosaur thing, too. Everything become extinct in the flood, except right. for what God put, like, on, that put on that ark. And that's where I think so. Absolutely. Very possible. You ever seen that little cartoon where the dinosaurs are looking at the ark going, going where are you going? <laughs> <laughs> but you see, the distinct word here is that man has always tried to belittle God's power by doing stuff like this, by justifying how much smarter they think they are than God. Right. And that's what Satan does. Do you not agree with that? Yes. And it all comes from all of this. All of this that we're talking about comes from one fact. It comes from neo-Darwinian evolution. It comes from Charles Darwin, the origin of species when he put out 1830s when he went to the Galapagos Islands and saw the finches. Understand that when, we're going to see this as we move through there, that God created according to each its kind. You never see a kind changing to another kind. Okay, You'll see what's called microevolution, which is uh, the adaptation to your environment. You know, that's what Darwin did was finches in the Galapagos Islands. He saw that, you know, in, in cold weather, the, the whatever's coat would thicken up, you know, because it was cold. You'll see that kind of modification, that kind of that kind of selection. But you never, ever see anything changing from one kind to another kind. And we'll also see that when we get to chapter 6 and we get to the, uh, the Noah account. Uh, it doesn't mean every species on the planet was brought into the ark. Two of each kind. So you have a canine kind. So that includes dogs and wolves and coyote and all, all those different species. Two canine. You have the feline kind. That includes all the things that are now lions and tigers and bobcats and all the kind of so it's really not that far fetched. It's not that it's not that it's not that huge, yes ma'am. Um, you talk about evolution and everything. Um, I actually read something and it said that uh, the closest living relative to a T Rex is a chicken. A chicken? Yes. I hate T Rex sure tastes good, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> she said the closest really I was at, we got to go, we, we're, we're past time, but I was at the, the Memphis Zoo a couple years ago. And I had, I think it was just us and our kids. And um, there was three guys. There's a little, I don't know where it was, but it's right by the, where it used to be the little reptile house. There's a little encove right there where they have monkeys in there. And there was two guys, I didn't say nothing. There was two guys sitting there and then there was a guy that was behind him. I don't know if he was with him or not. And the one guy looked and he said, do you know, he says, we're... Our our genes are 97% the same as those monkeys right there. He says, so we're, we're, you know, he's talking about being relatives of the, the apes and the monkeys and all that kind of stuff. And this guy behind him, I never said anything, but this guy behind him came up and he said, yeah, but we're also 50% with a banana. Does that mean we're half banana? You know? <laughs> so it, was, it tickled me to death. But we didn't get very far. We didn't get very far. But... 
we're going to, this, this outline is going to take us probably a couple of weeks because there's so much to discuss. Um, I'll post a couple of things that you need to probably watch before, maybe some YouTube videos. There's some that a uh, guy named Ray Comfort did that one with the kind where he was asking, show me where one kind changes to another kind, asking PhD scientists on the university level. And, and so I'll post some of those things so you can kind of look at it and get a feel of it. Uh, look over the outline that's been given that way. I want you to have these discussions because when you go out into your workplace or your school or wherever you're going to, this you're not going to be able to regurgitate a lecture that you heard. You're going to have to have conversations. And so we need to have conversations in here. Okay? Everybody understand? All right. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We didn't get very far in it today, but thank you for the discussions that we've had. Thank you for uh, uh, the study on Genesis that we're going to be going through. And we ask that you would just be with us, that you would guide us, and that you would teach us what you'd have us know. We thank you for that. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. And there's only some front push to